Thank you, Father. Lord, thank you that uh, you love us. You see the love we have for our kids. You know that we have that love because we're in your image, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that uh, you know how to raise kids better than anyone. You know how to protect our children, to protect their hearts better than anyone. I just thank you, Lord, that uh, you can minister to people's hearts, that their hearts can be established in, in you, that their hearts can be established in the truth, and that they can be kept from the, the wisdom of the world and, and all the, the accusations and all of the, the lies that are in the world. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Glory to God. This has been bothering me for a while. I feel like the weeping uh, prophet. And I know we have our definition of prophet. Prophet just means someone who speaks on behalf of, of God. It doesn't necessarily mean fortune teller, right? Where you're not going to tell somebody when their birthday was, right? If you want somebody to tell you when your birthday is, you can go down to Pirate's Alley and any one of those guys can tell you when your birthday is, right? And so a prophet is somebody who comes declaring the oracles of God. But man, recently, last... Last week, it hit like a, a climax. I was in here before church. I'm always in here like 45 minutes, an hour before church, worshiping the Lord. If anybody ever wants to come in here with me, it's not an exclusive club. Um, but um, I was in here just worshiping the Lord and praising God, and I just felt this heaviness for the, the children in the world, for kids in the world, really. Um, and not just for kids, but for the body of Christ also. Like, I just felt this, this heaviness, like this grief, man. And it felt like that, it was, that it, it was the Lord almost, you know, like the Lord was weeping. You can decide if you think it was the Lord or not. That's how it felt to me. But it breaks my heart to see what kids are encountering in the world today, the things that are being thrown at, at kids today. Um, man, it, it, it just it breaks my heart, the things that they're being exposed to. Um, and, and, you know, my heart then started breaking for the body of Christ because um, they see what's going on in the world. They, they see that what's going on in the world is not born from God and that it's full of destruction. But I got to tell you, man, what breaks my heart for the body of Christ is um, they, they can tell that this is not good for the kids, that it's going to serve the kids with destruction. But the body of Christ has not been equipped in the only thing that can actually protect the children. The body of Christ, we, we, have, we have entered into this place, and the Holy Spirit is bringing us out of it now, but the body of Christ has been dwelling in this place for a long time where, man, we have not been equipped in the truth, really. We have not been equipped in the faith that was revealed in Jesus on the cross. We have not been equipped in the wisdom that was revealed in Christ when he was on the cross. And because we haven't been equipped in that, what's going on now is the body of Christ can see the assault that's coming against all their kids, but because they don't know how to wage a proper warfare, because they don't know the warfare that's even actually being waged, they don't know how to come and protect their, their, their hearts of their children, man, they're starting to wage a warfare just like the world would wage a warfare. They're picking up the same kind of sword to try to fight the same kind of way that the world would fight. And that's not going to help the kids, actually. Right? Adam also wanted to be clothed in the garden. And when he tried to clothe himself, did he end up clothed? He was very passionate about being clothed, I promise you. Any one of us, if we found ourselves naked in the street, we would be very passionate about being clothed. And so Adam wasn't lacking a desire to want to be clothed. But he wasn't living according to the truth. He didn't have the knowledge of God. 
And so he was waging a war to try and be clothed. It never ended up clothing him. And it left him even more unclothed. And that's why my heart breaks for the body of Christ because there's an assault coming against them also. Because when you see things coming for your kids, listen, man, I promise you, you're being tempted to pick up the sword when you see people coming for your kids. But we want to ask ourselves, what kind of sword are we going to wage in this war? Is it going to be the sword of the Spirit? Or is it going to be a carnal sword? Because what I see going on in the world today is we're waging a a carnal sword. We're picking up the sword like Peter did when he wanted to preserve Jesus' life and he didn't see the power to preserve Jesus from the world was the Spirit of the living God. And so he picked up a physical sword and he came to fight with that. And so, man, listen, we can have a zeal for our kids to be protected. We can have a zeal for our kids to be guarded from the world. But if it ain't according to knowledge, our zeal is worthless. I mean, Paul, talking about Israel, said they had a zeal for the Lord. But he said it wasn't according to knowledge. Paul says that the weapons of our warfare are not carnal but they're mighty through the knowledge of God to the pulling down of strongholds. You see what he says there? He says the the battle that we're waging is a battle that occurs in the heart. It's not a carnal battle. It's not an external battle that we're waging. We're not battling institutions. We're not battling these different things and what they look like. What we're battling is the effect it can have in the heart. And he says that the power to us winning this battle is through the knowledge of God. It's through the precise and accurate knowledge of God that will cast down the strongholds, that will keep our children's hearts from the strongholds. That's what he says about waging the warfare. Hosea 4 says, my people perish for a lack of knowledge. A lack of knowledge. Right? And so the body of Christ, I mean, the body of Christ can come together and think that we're perishing because of all the things that are broken and corrupt all around us. But I promise you, our kids aren't going to perish because of the way the world is. Our kids would perish because they don't understand God. They don't understand the wisdom of God that was revealed at the cross. And you know why they don't understand the wisdom of God that was revealed at the cross? Because no one's taught them. And do you know why no one's taught them? Because no one taught us. We are in the midst of generational ignorance in the body of Christ. Ignorance that's so much that all we've done is teach our children what the good fruit is and what the bad fruit is, and we've sent them off to try and produce the good fruit and not produce the bad fruit. Well, that's the same wisdom that's in the world. And so it's, God says, my people perish for a lack of knowledge. Did he say my people perish because they're doing the bad things? No. Lack of knowledge. And do you know what that word knowledge is there? Talking about wisdom, understanding. And so do you know Paul come and said that the wisdom of God was revealed in Christ on the cross? He says Christ, the the Christ that was crucified on the cross, he says within this man Jesus that was crucified is both the wisdom and the power of God. Listen, man, the body of Christ is suffering in the world because we don't know the wisdom that was revealed in the cross. And the assault that's being waged against our children, the only thing that can protect our children from the world and the wisdom of the world and the things that are going on in the world, it's not if we can hide them so they never encounter it. You can't do that, actually, even if you lock them away. 
they're still going to encounter the wisdom of the world. The only thing that can keep their hearts is for them to be taught the wisdom that was revealed at the cross. So as parents, the body of Christ, man, I pray, and I've been praying this daily, because I'm just some bald-headed guy named Greg. Nobody cares what I say. I mean, the people who listen, they might care what I have to say, but I'm not just weeping for the people that would listen to me. I'm weeping for the body of Christ because if we really care about our kids being protected from what's going on in the world, what we're going to do is we're going to start inquiring of the wisdom that was revealed at the cross. And we're going to start realizing we don't even know what that is. Like if, if we were just honest with, with ourselves and we passed around a microphone and said, well, you know, it says that the wisdom of God was revealed at the cross. Well, what's the wisdom? How many people do you think would stand up and give a good answer? I know for me, the, the poverty of my understanding in the past would have really been revealed because you know what I would have said at first? Well, God punished Jesus instead of me. That's not the wisdom revealed at the cross. I mean, God was in Christ. So how could God be punishing himself? I mean, is the Father and the Son not one? And so there's a wisdom being revealed there that actually protects the human heart from the wisdom of the world. It actually keeps our hearts guarded from the assault that comes from the wisdom of the world. Right? So we want to look at that. And that's what we're going to look at today. But if we look at Israel, you guys remember Israel in the Old Testament? You know, God brought them into the promised land. Do you know what was surrounding Israel when they were in the promised land? The world. <laughs> all the nations of the world were all surrounding them. And so God didn't like take them over to a corner where they could be secluded and never have to encounter the nations of the world. They were smack dab in the middle with the nations of the world all around them. Right, you know, Jesus, when he prayed for the disciples, I know we think we're all trying to get to heaven and, and get out of the earth, but you know, Jesus, when he prayed for the disciples, he prayed not for the Father to take them out of the world, but he prayed for their hearts to be kept from the wisdom of the world through the truth that was revealed in him. And so when God had Israel, God didn't think the power for Israel to be protected from all the ungodly nations and all the nations that were around it. He didn't think the power was if they could be isolated way over here on another. He could have just made another planet and put Israel on that planet. So they're surrounded by the world, just like our kids right now are surrounded by the world. Everywhere they go, every institution is built upon the wisdom of the world. Everywhere they see. It's the same thing for us, really. And this message isn't just about you teaching your kids. I mean, this message will help the parents also. Because I hate to break it to you, the world is also coming against your heart nonstop. And it has ever since the time you were born. And so we want to begin to understand ourselves, our lives, our design, the way things work, so we can be of help to, first so we could be helped, but then so we can help our kids. So Israel's they're surrounded by the world, much like our kids are today. What did God say to the people of Israel so that their kids could be kept from the world around them? Because he does say something about it. What does he say? And you can find this in, in several places in the book of Deuteronomy. But the book of Deuteronomy gives the instructions. God gives Moses instructions so that the people wouldn't perish from off the land. Right? And you can find it in Deuteronomy 6, you can find it in Deuteronomy 11, you can find it, I think, in Deuteronomy 18. Similar passages. But listen to what God says about 
the kids and the kids being kept. Therefore shall you lay up these words, these my words, in your heart and in your soul. This is Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 18. Therefore shall you lay up these my words in your heart and in your soul and bind them for a sign upon your hand that they may be as frontlets between your eyes. Do you know what he's actually trying to say there? He's trying to say, give diligent heed to these words, is what he's trying to say. The scripture is filled with that exhortation. The book of Proverbs, talking about with all you're getting, get wisdom. With all you're getting, get understanding. The book of Proverbs talks about being diligent and not being slothful or lazy. It ain't talking about in physical work. It's talking about with the word of truth that was revealed from God. You want to be diligent with this word of truth. You want it to all the time be in your mind. You want it to all the time be in front of your eyes. You want it to be the meditation of your heart. You want it to be so ingrained inside of your heart that it's actually the filter by which you begin to view life is what he's talking about when he says, put these words and bind them for a sign on your hand. What that means is every time you would look at your hand, you would see these words, right? Boom, boom, boom. I don't know about you, you guys, but when I grew up in the, the word of faith, right, we, we kind of took that to another level. We would write little stickies and stick them on the mirror and stuff, right? And what we were trying to rehearse is, you're the righteousness of God. I'm the righteousness of God. I'm the righteousness of God. You know what that never did? That never convinced me that I was the righteousness of God. You know why? Because that wasn't even, the tr that wasn't even like elaborating on what the truth was. What does that even mean? I remember Bertie, our good friend Bertie, he said God told him one day when he was busy confessing that he was the righteousness of God. He's, he said, God said, so what? The dog is righteous. Now what? <laughs> oh, Therefore, shall you lay these my words in your heart and in your soul and bind them for a sign upon your hand that they may be as frontlets between your eyes. And you shall teach them your children, speaking of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. And you shall write these words that you shall teach your children upon the doorposts of your house and upon your gates. Again, he's just talking about this word. Within this word is the power of God to produce life in you and to keep you from the world around you and to keep you from perishing at the hands of the world around you. He's trying to emphasize, listen, take heed, right? That's what James talks about when James talks about being a doer of the word. He's not talking about going out and performing something. What he's talking about is continuing to look into the perfect law of liberty, where you're all the time looking at the perfect law of liberty, and you're all the time meditating on the perfect law of liberty, that everywhere you go, that's what it means to be a doer of the word. You continuously meditate on the word of truth from which your life has been begotten. And I don't know if you guys realize it, but our life has been begotten from the cross and the resurrection. And so what word? Is being revealed there at the cross. Listen to what he goes on to say. The reason you're going to do this, the reason you're going to meditate on this word, the reason why you're going to be diligent with this word is so that your days may be multiplied and the days of your children in the land which the Lord swear on your, unto your fathers to give them as the days of heaven upon earth. You see what he says there? Within these words is the power 
for your children to experience the days of heaven on earth. Within these words is the power for your kids not to perish at the hands of the world around them. That's what he's saying. So what are the words that Moses says to diligently teach your kids? Well, if you go and read in Deuteronomy chapter 6, it tells us what the words are. And so the words that Moses says to diligently teach your children so that their days will be as the days of heaven on earth is you shall have one God, the Lord your God, and you shall have no other gods besides him. Those are the words. Those are the words you bind on your hand. It's an interesting thing in the Old Testament in Deuteronomy when it talks about having other gods. The other gods that you would have would be things you made with your own hands. So it's talking about worshiping the works of your own hands or worshiping the strength in your hand or the strength of your flesh, right? And so to have other gods would really mean that you're looking to your own hands and your own strength to be able to fashion your own life into a certain image. And from you fashioning your own life into a certain image, then you would have life. That's what it means to have a God. When we talk about having a God, we're talking about where we look to find our desire for life satisfied. Where are we looking when we feel a desire for life? Do you know what everybody feels? A desire for life. Do you know what your kids feel? A desire for life. You want to know this about your kids. And from the time of a young person, you want to recognize this dynamic. They have a desire for life. I know the church and the poverty of their understanding have come and taught you that when little Bessie gets upset in the sandbox and wants to take the toy from the other kid, she's got a sin nature, don't you know? And that's why she does it. That ain't got nothing to do with it. What's going on inside of little Bessie, little Betsy, is little Betsy has a desire for life. And something has come and told her that her desire for life can be satisfied if she has that toy. And so then she tries to take the toy. It's got nothing to do with some sin nature. Again, our poverty of understanding have left our kids out in the world not equipped to withstand or endure the, the wisdom of the world. So we're talking about a God. We're talking about where we, what we look to to find peace and love and joy. What do we think can fill us with peace and love and joy? Whatever it is we're looking to for that, that's our God. Plain and simple. That's our God. So are are we trying to conform ourselves and our lives to a certain image? Like I talked about with me in high school, I had a certain image of what I thought could could, could serve me with the value and the acceptance and the approval and the justification that I longed for. And I got busy trying to form myself in the image that I thought could get me all those things. I had another God other than the Lord my God. And I was trying to find the peace and the love and the joy that I was created to desire. I was trying to find those things by using my own ability to fashion myself in a certain image. And the certain image I was trying to fashion myself into is the very image that the world come and told me I needed to be in to have value and acceptance and justification. And so we don't look at it that way in in modern day Christianity or in the New Testament, but that's what it means to have another God. That's what it means to worship the works of your own hands. 
So are we trying to conform ourselves and our lives into a certain image? Or are we looking to God and the life that he's built us in the glorified man, Jesus? That's what it means when we're talking about having a God. So Moses tells the Israelites to diligently teach your children to love God and not the works of their own hands. That's what he tells them. To love God doesn't mean what you do for God. To love God means that you call him father. And when you call God father, what that means is, is you're looking to him as the only one that can actually satisfy your desire for life. You say to yourself, I feel this desire for love, for acceptance, for peace, for joy. But your heart says, the only thing that can satisfy my desire for those things is God Almighty. And so you love God because you're calling him Father. You're saying he's the one that's going to father inside of me my desire for acceptance, my desire for glory, my desire for honor. Do you know what human beings were all created desiring? Glory and honor. Every single human was born knowing they were meant for glory and honor. And so God comes and tells Moses, diligently teach your children that this fruit that's hanging over in this land, the milk and honey that's in this land, the things, the sweet nectar that's satisfying their longing for life, diligently teach them that those things have come from me. Diligently teach them that those things have not come from the strength in their own hands and that it can't come from the strength of their own hands. Diligently teach your children that they cannot use their own strength to fashion their life in a way that their life can be so beautiful that that will now serve them with peace and love and joy. Diligently teach them that. And that's the same wisdom that was revealed at the cross. You guys following? this because what you see with a lot of the kids today is they're trying to be conformed into a certain image and do you know why you try to conform yourself into a certain image because you think that image that you can conform yourself into will satisfy the longing you have in your heart you feel an emptiness how many of you felt an emptiness when you were kids in school my emptiness was extreme you know most kids feel an emptiness i mean back to the sin nature thing the reason why your little girl might try and take the toy from the other little girl? God, God, God help us that we've taught parents their little children are evil and sin, have a sin nature. It's because they think that toy can give them life. And they think they don't have something they need for life if that other person has the toy. <laughs> if we understood these things, we could start teaching our children this. We could sit with them understanding little Betsy has a longing for life. That longing has actually come from God. And she's now been confronted with the wisdom of the world that's telling her the power for her to have her longing for life satisfied is in that toy. Well, I can take this as a perfect opportunity to come and talk to her about where that longing comes from. I can come and talk to her about what that longing is, how it's there. And then I can start talking to her about the only thing that can satisfy that longing. I can start to talk to her about how that toy can't satisfy the longing in her heart. I can explain to her the only thing that can satisfy that longing. And I can begin the teaching and the establishing of my children's heart that they would have one God, the Lord their God. Right? But what do we do? We just come, no, no, don't do that. You got to share. We all agree you got to share, don't we? I mean, that's an easy thing to say. We all agree that it's good to share, don't we? Well, what's the power to them actually wanting to share? 
I mean, why does God want to share? Is it because someone told him that's the right thing to do? <laughs> right? Acts chapter 17, verse 24, and I've been twisting on this a lot, so I think it's, I'm going to keep talking about this. Because, you know, you know, Proverbs says, with all you're getting, get wisdom, get understanding. It's almost like in the body of Christ, we think it's evil to understand. We, we even quote the verse in, in 1 Corinthians 13 all the time that, that says, though you may understand all mysteries, and though you may un have all knowledge, if you hath not love, then it's clanging symbol." And so then we act like it's, it's evil to understand and have wisdom. I find most adults that I mean do not understand themselves. And so how can they help their kids if they don't even understand themselves yet? They haven't even figured out what's going on in them, why they feel lack, where the longing they feel comes from. Why is it even there? We don't even understand the habitations that God has set about for us. So how can we teach our little kids what's going on in them when they encounter the lack that's in the world, when they encounter the accusation that's in the world? Because we know that's coming. And if they don't understand what's going on when it comes, where are they going to be at? All of us have been in the place. Man, God bless my parents. I love my parents. They at least knew enough to tell me God loves you. And so it led me to the place where I could sort these things out. But man, in my own life, I was, I was powerless against the accusations. I was powerless against the lack, against the longing, because I didn't understand what any of it meant. I didn't understand why it was happening. And I didn't understand myself. I thought if I felt lack, something's wrong with me. No, actually, it's a sign of your design is actually functioning right. Acts chapter 17, Paul talks about this. Acts chapter 17, verse 24. God that made the world and all things therein, seeing that he is Lord of heaven and earth, dwells not in temples made with hands, neither is worshiped with men's hands as though he needed anything seeing he gives to all life and breath and all things, and has made of one blood all nations of men for to dwell on all the face of the earth, and has determined the times before appointed and the bounds of their habitation. He determined the bounds of our habitation. This is interesting what he says right after that. It says, him determining the bounds of these habitations would cause people to seek the Lord if happily they might feel after him and find him, though he be not far from every one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As certain also of your poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Now, Paul is doing a magnificent thing here that is like interpreting the life of all humans. And he comes and says, God has set the bounds of our habitation, all humans, because he called those pagans the offspring of God. And he says, God has set about our lives within a certain habitation. And the habitation with which he set our lives in is one that would cause us to seek after him, that we might find him, that we might inherit eternal life. And so what is Paul talking about there? And what does he mean when he says this? We want to understand the habitations God has set forth for us so we can be of help to our children as they walk in this world. Because what Paul's actually describing is the way the human being functions in the earth. And that God has set forth a certain habitation to work with our design so that our design would actually cause us to seek after life. And then our seeking of life, we'd end up finding him. Or rather see that he found us. 
That's what he's talking about. And so God has set forth the habitation for us. And the habitation he set forth for us is himself. God is our habitation. And so our children are going to live and move and have their being in God. Paul even told these pagans they were, having, they were living and moving and having their being in God. And he pointed to the memorial they made of the unknown God as the evidence they were still living and moving and having their being in God even though they didn't know him. And what was he saying? These guys were seeking life. These guys were seeking satisfaction. They were seeking eternity. And they were seeking it so much that they even erected a memorial to something called the unknown God. Do you know what's in every single human's heart that's born into this world? A memorial to an unknown God. And do you know what that memorial is too? Them seeking to find life. Them seeking to find satisfaction. Them seeking to find the longing they have in their life for glory and honor or the longing they have in their heart for glory and honor for a righteous life. They're seeking that. God actually put that in us. Ecclesiastes said that God put eternity in the hearts of all people. And so we live and move and have our being in God. Well, do you know what God is? God is set apart unto life. He's set apart unto seeing life, partaking in life. God's set apart unto a righteous life. And so in that God has made himself our habitation, and we live and move and have our being in God, do you know what that means every human being is set apart unto? Desiring a righteous life. Desiring a life that's full of glory and honor. Desiring a life that's just that's full of peace and love and joy. Every single human being is born into this earth wanting that. Why do you think Adam, when he was naked, decided, I need to try to clothe myself? Why didn't he just say, who cares, I'm naked? Why did he even judge there's something not right with this nakedness? You guys following me? The habitation that God has set up for all people, your kids included, our children are born with a desire for life. You need to know that about them already. The reason why Betsy gets upset if she don't think she has the toy the other one has, because she's been created with a desire for life. And something in that moment is trying to tell her she doesn't have what she needs for life. That's why she can have that reaction. And it's a perfect opportunity to start talking to her about the habitation the Lord has set forth us we don't just desire any kind of a life it's not just any kind of life our kids are actually born wanting it's wired into them guys it ain't like you 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 acquire it when i was in switzerland i asked all these atheists how many of them like death you know what they all said not a single one of them liked it they hated it and they hated anything that they thought could bring forth death you know what i asked them well where do you think that came from why do you hate death did somebody take you into a classroom and tell you you should hate death? Did someone take you into a classroom and teach you that it's not good? No one had to teach anybody that. We feel it, right? So we need to understand this about ourselves. Our kids are created with the desire for a just life, a perfect life, a righteous life. Guys, let's just be honest. How many of you feel happy when you think your life ain't going well? Seriously, why? 
Why? Why, why aren't we just like, well, it is what it is. I mean, we're like wrecked. Various degrees of being wrecked. My goodness. <laughs> right? Where does that come from? We need to understand that this is part of our kids. That they have a desire for the kind of life that is as it ought to be. And God actually put that in them, as Paul says, so that they might seek after him. So that their desire would be unto God. It's like a homing signal, like E.T. E.T. phone home. E.T. phone home. Right? When E.T. was left in the world, was he happy being here? No, he had something in him that said, I got to get home. And so God put something in us to draw us to himself. And the thing that he put in us is a desire for a righteous life, the same desire that he has. We live and move and have our being in him. God desires to see righteous life manifested. He desires to see a perfect life come forth. He desires to see all those things. He desires to see life be as it ought to be. And we are born into this world also having all those same desires. And he put it in us so that we would desire him and so we could inherit his life. Now that would all be fine and dandy. But the problem is, our kids are born into a world that has its own ideas about a righteous life. Our children are born into a world that tells them, it sees they have eternity in their hearts. And it, the wisdom of the world, the world, it comes to them. You know what it tells them? The power to have a just life, that perfect life you're after, that life that's full of glory and honor. The power to have that life, the power to, to have that feeling you feel in there. We all have the, they know they have the feeling. That's why the lie is so powerful. Because it comes and points at the, yes, I feel that. Well, do you know what will fix that feeling? Do you know what will satisfy that feeling? Do you know what will make you whole on the inside? Is if you could just use your ability and fashion your life into this image. If you can take your strength and create your own life in this certain image, that will satisfy the longing you have for a beautiful life. That will satisfy your desire for glory and honor. That's what the world comes saying. Jesus, Jesus calls it vainglory because it, it can't actually satisfy our desire for glory. So listen, guys, at some, at some point, our kids are going to encounter the world. At some point, they're going to run into the lack that's in the world. There's coming a day where they're going to be confronted by the wisdom of the world. Adam and Eve were confronted by it. That's what happened to them in the Garden of Eden. They're going to encounter moments, and they're going to encounter times where the world will try to come and give birth to an accusation in their heart. They're going to encounter times where the world's going to try to come and bring forth a lust inside of them for wholeness. It's going to come to them and try to convince them that wholeness, that the desire they have in their heart can be satisfied through things in the world or through certain identities in the world or through certain jobs or through certain relationships or through certain anything. It's going to come and tell them the wholeness that they're craving is found in the strength of the flesh. That's what it's going to try and tell them. It's going to tell them the wholeness is found in them fashioning their bodies, them fashioning themselves, and them fashioning their lives into a certain image. Young ladies, y'all were born into a world that constantly told you that you had to fashion your body and your appearance into a certain image in order for you to be acceptable. Did you not? Who do you think told you that? And why do you think that even made sense? Why was it so easy for you to be like, yes, 
Because there was something in you already desiring to be seen as beautiful and glorious. And so what the world came and did was seemingly give you an answer to satisfy the longing you already had in your heart. And because you hadn't been taught of the Lord yet, you hadn't been taught the faith that was revealed in the man Jesus Christ on the cross, you were deceived into thinking that the power for you to find your longing, the power for you to find your desire satisfied, was in your own strength to conform yourself into a certain image. I mean, the world has an opinion about what beauty is, doesn't it? Is it the same as God's opinion? And what does the world's opinion leave you doing? Looking to your hand to try to fashion yourself in that image. And what does it leave you doing? Judging yourself by that image and judging whether or not you're whole by that image. That's what the world wants to do to our kids. It's mixing with their longing for life. They don't understand that longing. They don't understand what that desire is. And they're just left floating in the world they're going to be left trying to satisfy the desire themselves because the world is going to come to them over and over and present things to them and say to them, you know that feeling you have, that longing, that emptiness? This is what will satisfy you. And it looks good for food. Just like the tree of the knowledge of good and evil looked good for food. What does it mean that it looks good for food? Well, you eat food to satisfy your hunger. What it means that it looks good for food is it looks like to our kids that it can satisfy their hunger for glory and honor, for acceptance, for approval, for love, for peace, for joy. It looks like it can give them those things. And they haven't been taught the wisdom of the cross. They haven't even been taught why they have this desire to begin with. We just come and tell them, don't do that. Right? If you're raising a little girl, you, you try and teach the little girl, hey, don't go running off with the boys. Well, listen, man, that doesn't help them, right? Because they feel a longing for something. Well, if you could come and discern the longing they have, and you could come and tell them what's going on inside and why this looks appealing, and then you could come and tell them what they're actually after and where the only place it is actually found and how this can't actually give it to you. Man, they start understanding. They start dwelling in knowledge, right? That's what, we can't hide our kids from the world, but we can talk to them about the life they were created for. We want to give them, our kids, a measuring rod, something that can discern their hearts and their lives. Jesus had a measuring rod. When the wisdom of the world came to Jesus and told him that he could have a righteous life if he would turn the stones into bread, when the world came to Jesus and said, you could have a righteous life, just come down off that cross. Jesus had a measuring rod to weigh what a righteous life was. And do you know what it was? It was the likeness of God's immortality. And so Jesus thought, well, if I turn these stones into bread, is that going to glorify me with immortality? No. If I go run off with this boy, is that going to glorify me with immortality? No. You see how you have a measuring rod now? Because you start to know what you're after. You know what everybody is after? The likeness of God's immortality. That's what we want. We're born into the earth desiring that. That's a perfect life. That's a life that can't be harmed. That's a life that overcomes death. That's a life that has no lack in it. That's the kind of righteous life we're all longing for. And so we could teach our kids that so they can know what they're after. What's this feeling you have? Betsy, I know you really want that toy, but let me explain to you what your heart's really after. 
And now you start teaching them about God in the likeness of his immortality. And that longing they felt was actually a longing for this. You didn't really want that toy. It's just you heard a voice telling you that toy could satisfy the longing. Well, that toy can't satisfy the longing. This is what you're really after. And then you can unveil the glorified man, Jesus, in their presence. And there are various ways you can start teaching kids about that, right? We can talk to our kids about the longing they have for life and why it's there. We can talk to our kids about why they can feel lack. We can talk to our kids about the desire in their heart and how the thing they're longing for is the life that's revealed in the Lord Jesus. We can talk to our kids about where that life is found. We can talk to them about the voice of the stranger, the voice of the strange woman in the book of Proverbs. It's not talking about a real woman. It's talking about the wisdom of the world coming to you and showing you something that looks like it can satisfy your desire for life. We can talk to them about what that voice sounds. We can talk to them about how the world comes to us, knowing that eternity is in our hearts, telling us that it can satisfy the longing in our hearts. If we'll only conform our lives to a certain image. I mean, do you even want to know why you have girls that want to be boys? I mean, the church doesn't even stop and think about these things. And then we just make fun of it. Do you know why you would even want that? It's because something has come along and convinced you the glory and honor, the longing you have, you can attain to if you will now conform yourself into the image of a boy. The wisdom of the world will come and convince you that you're less than if you're a woman. We see a whole movement of that in the world. We can teach our kids these things so they know what's happening to them. I think the worst part for me when I encountered lack wasn't that I encountered lack because I still encounter lack all the time now. Do you know what the worst part for me was? Not understanding what the hell it was. Forgive my language. Where did it come from? Why do I feel it? And because I didn't understand what was happening to me, that left me feeling very confused. The confusion starts swimming around. But I promise you, if you understand what's happening to you and why it's happening to you, and you start understanding what's going on there and why you can feel it and what you're actually longing for and where you can find it, you no longer feel so tormented when you find the lack. And neither can you be deceived into thinking that something can satisfy the lack that you feel. You begin to have your senses exercised and you begin to discern it real quickly that whatever it is the world is telling you you don't have, that if you could just use your ability to gain it or if you could just use your ability to create yourself in that image, man, you start to understand that can't give me what I'm after because I'm after immortality. I'm after glorified human flesh. I'm after the likeness of God himself. And it doesn't matter what image I can use my ability to conform myself to in this world. It can never create me in the image of God himself. It can never create me in the likeness of his immortality. I mean, the world wants immortality. The world doesn't want to die. We even have zombie movies where they're dead, but they're alive. Where do we even dream up this stuff? We have vampire movies where the vampires can't die. We even romanticize the vampires because it's so attractive that there's something that's eternal. It, the, these things happen, these things come because we live and move and have our being in God. Everyone does. Everyone's after immortality. Everybody has a longing for a perfect life. And we're in this world seeking out a perfect life. And the world is going to come to our kids and say, this is where the perfect life is found. The world's going to come to our kids and accuse them and tell them they don't have a perfect life. They don't have a righteous life. And if they could just use their ability to fashion themselves after this likeness, then they can have a righteous life. Then they can find this longing healed. Then they can find this emptiness sent away from them. Then they can be whole. 
There's no shame for any of us, guys, but we have left our children. And it's because we've been left. We have left ourselves out in the world without the sword of the Spirit. So we can teach our kids the knowledge that was revealed in the Son of God. We can teach our kids the faith that was revealed in Jesus Christ on the cross. We can teach them to diligently look unto the faith that was revealed in Jesus Christ on the cross. So they aren't conformed to the world just as Jesus wasn't conformed to the world. And if you're thinking, I don't even know what that is. Don't fake it till you make it. That's where you start. Lord, go read 1 Corinthians 1 where Paul, the great apostle, said he purposed to know nothing in our midst save Christ and him crucified. And he said the reason why I purpose to know nothing but that is because it's both the wisdom and the power of God. He said he lived in this world by the faith that was revealed in the Son of God on the cross. What is that faith? Start asking God these questions. Ask God to teach it to you. Tell God you want to know. The Holy Spirit was poured out to teach us these things, to guide us into it. Romans chapter 12, verse 1 says, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Listen, man, the church is so poverty-stricken that we've taught, those, we've taught that verse as if people now need to lay down their life and go perform a ministry. As if that's what it means to be a living sacrifice. But Paul is actually giving us the key to not being made conformed to the wisdom of the world. He goes on to say, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye renewed or be you transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So what, what's God's perfect will? For you to be created in the image of Christ Jesus. For you to be fashioned in the form of the likeness of his immortality and glorified human flesh. That's the will he has for your life. And Paul says the way that you'll find that will manifested in you is by you presenting your body a living sacrifice. Well, this is Paul. And so when Paul talks about being a living sacrifice, you know how you're a living sacrifice? You're a living sacrifice by fellowshipping or partaking in the faith that was revealed in Jesus on the cross. Because isn't that what Jesus was doing? Wasn't he a sacrifice? Paul called, uh, Paul said, I was crucified with Christ. And he said, nevertheless, I live. And then he described being crucified with Christ. That's a living sacrifice, isn't it? He said, I was crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Isn't that a living sacrifice? Then he describes what that means when he says, the life I live now in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God. The faith that was revealed to me on the cross when Jesus laid down his life for me. That's what he's saying. So that's the power for our kids to be kept from the world. It's for them to be made a living sacrifice. And we're made a living sacrifice by partaking, by talking, by fellowshipping, by singing spiritual songs to one another, by teaching one another about the faith that was revealed in Jesus on the cross. Jesus was a living sacrifice. He wasn't conformed to the world. He wasn't conformed to the world. Je you, guys, Jesus was also born into this world, born of a woman. The habitations were also set for him. Do you think Jesus didn't desire a perfect life? 
You think Jesus didn't desire a beautiful life? You think Jesus didn't know he was created for glory and honor? Do you think he didn't have a longing in his heart for a righteous life or to see righteousness come forth? I mean, when he was hanging on the cross, did it look like he had any of that? Well, why wasn't he conformed to the image or the wisdom of the world when he was hanging on the cross? Why didn't he heed the accusation? Right? I mean, the world came pointing at Jesus. I mean, was the world telling Jesus that he had a beautiful life when he was hanging on the cross? Wasn't telling him he had a beautiful life? And you know what the world was telling him? The world came to him when he was on the cross telling him everything that was wrong with his life, pointing at his body, pointing at his flesh. I mean, do you know why people even have anorexia? Because they've been confronted with the idea that a righteous life is found in a certain body image. And if they use their ability to conform themselves to that image, they'll find the longing or the emptiness in their heart satisfied. The same thing happened with Jesus on the cross. The world came pointing at his body. It came pointing at his flesh, telling him, your life, your image is not as it ought to be. And it told him, if you could just conform yourself into the proper image, come down off the cross, clothe yourself. If you could just change what is seen in your body, then you can have a righteous life and you could be made whole. That's what the world came saying to Jesus on the cross. The world comes saying the same thing to us and our kids. The world says the power to find a righteous life, to find your desire for a righteous life satisfied, is in you conforming yourself and your life into a certain image. If you can just fashion yourself after this likeness and after this image, then you can escape the torment you feel and the hunger you have for a righteous life can be satisfied. That's what it was saying to Jesus, right? But Jesus understood what he was after. He understood the habitations that were set forth for him. He understood that the longing in his heart was for glorified immortal flesh. He understood the longing in his heart was the likeness of God himself, that the righteous life he was longing for was found in God himself. He understood that even should he come down off the cross, that was not going to give him the glorified immortal flesh that he was actually after. And so it discerned for him, well, what if I do? Let's say I do fashion myself in the image the world says is beautiful and good. Is that going to satisfy the longing in my heart? He knew it wouldn't. And so he couldn't be deceived because he knew specifically what he was after. We need our kids to know specifically what they're longing for, specifically what they want. So that when they feel lack, they understand the reason they feel lack is because they're desiring glorified immortal flesh and they don't have that yet. They're desiring to see a righteous life and they're stuck in a world where the life isn't righteous around us, right? Where their soul can feel vexed because it's not a righteous life in the world. That's what the cross does. It exercises our senses. It shows us what can feed us with a righteous life and what can never satisfy our hunger for a righteous life. The cross, it makes foolish the wisdom of the world. Paul come and said the wisdom of the world says it's the strong after the flesh, the wise, the noble, that will inherit a righteous life. Well, the cross makes that foolish because you can't see anything about the image of Jesus that was beautiful to the world. In fact, everything about his image was completely despicable in the eyes of the world. And yet this man, Jesus, actually attained to the likeness of God's immortality, the very thing we're all after. 
And so that's what Paul encountered when he encountered Jesus on the road to Damascus. All of a sudden, Paul saw. Paul didn't really know what he was after. He thought he was after a blessed life in the world. But then he saw the glorified man, Jesus, and all of a sudden, everything was laid bare. And he realized, that's what I'm longing for. And then he started backtracking and asking himself, well, how did that guy get that? Oh, okay. I see that he didn't get it by using his ability to create himself in a certain image, but he actually inherited that by calling upon God, by looking to God, by looking to God to fashion him in the likeness of his immortality. That's how he got it. The cross shows us that none of us can satisfy the desire we have inside of us, the desire that we were made for glory and honor. The cross shows us that you cannot take what is seen in your flesh or in your body or your life and through those things find your hunger for a righteous life satisfied. The cross makes it really clear. It makes it really clear that it, you can't do that. And so we have in the, the resurrection of Jesus, this is God. Isn't this what you're after? Isn't this what you want? A perfect life, a sinless life, a life that has no decay or corruption. Isn't that what you're after? That's what we want to teach our kids. This is what you're actually after, okay? This eternity, it's in your hearts. This is what you're actually after, right? The cross exercises our senses to show us what can and can't give that to us because we see how Jesus attained to that. And that teaches us that's how we're going to find our desire satisfied, right? And so the faith revealed in Jesus, if we would just purpose like Paul with our kids to know nothing in the midst of our kids, save Christ and Him crucified. What would happen is the faith that was revealed in Jesus on the cross would make the wisdom of the world look foolish to them. Because it looked foolish to Jesus to think if He came down off this cross, that's going to give me the glory and honor that I need. Jesus could have had all the kingdoms of the world. Satan came to Him and said, I'll give you all the kingdoms of the world. Just bow down and worship me. Which means worship your own strength. Jesus looked at all the kingdoms of the world and said, well, I see that that's pretty, that's pretty nice, but that can't glorify my flesh with immortality. <laughs> you see how it made that idea foolish? Jesus didn't have to grit his teeth. He looked at it and said, no, I know what I'm after. That can't give it to me. If our kids don't even really know what they're after, how can they discern what can and can't give it to them? How do we even begin to talk to them, right? The faith in Jesus on the cross will make our kids a living sacrifice where they're not conformed to the world. They'll live in the world but they won't try to be justified through the things of the world. They'll be in the world, they'll look at the strength in the world and the strength of the flesh, and they'll see it's powerless to satisfy the longing they have for life. The world might come and tell them that they should be in this image, but when they, when they hear that they should be in this image, immediately they'll think, well, can that image give me a glorified, perfect life? No, it can't. So that's foolish. It can't satisfy the longing in my heart. Now they have discernment working in them where they can discern what's good for food and what isn't good for food. Jesus knew what was good for food. He knew what could satisfy his hunger. He had a very specific hunger. You ever felt hungry and you weren't hungry for like any kind of a food? You're like, I want Chinese food. You ever had like a craving for a certain kind of a food? Well, if, if you had to go to another restaurant that didn't have that food, was your craving satisfied? No. Jesus knew exactly what he was craving, exactly what he was hungering for. 
that exercised his senses and made it real clear what could give it to him and what couldn't give it to him, right? That's the same thing that will happen in our kids. When they're, when they're confronted with the corruption and the lack in the world, when they're confronted with the accusation in the world, telling them that they don't have something that's needed to experience life, in that moment, they can begin to understand what they're actually longing for. Because someone could say, you don't have what you need for life, and you could feel lack. They need to understand when they feel that lack, what they're longing for. I'm longing for the likeness of God's immortality. I'm longing for what I see in the glorified man, Jesus. Okay, that's why I feel this. That can't give it to me. So why am I going to busy myself with it? Right? It can't give it to me. They'll begin to understand why they can feel lack. And they'll begin to see the Father of lights there with them, shepherding their life, preparing a table full of life for them. And they'll begin to start connecting with the Father when they feel lack, just like Jesus did, because he saw real clearly that the Father was the only one who could satisfy the longing. Right? It wasn't a guess. It wasn't because Jesus used his willpower and was better than everybody else. It's because he had wisdom. He had understanding. And so it was real simple for him to see. Yeah, you, yeah well, even should I come down off this cross, that doesn't give me the likeness of God's immortality. Even should I turn myself into a boy, that won't give me immortality. Even should I fashion myself in this image, in the image that the world says I should be in if I'm a woman, that won't satisfy the longing I have in my heart because what I'm longing for is immortality, right? It will, the, the faith revealed in Jesus on the cross will keep our kids from thinking the love and the acceptance they're longing for is found in conforming themselves to what the world says is good and beautiful. They'll be able to discern it real quickly. It'll keep their hearts from the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, right? The pride of life is when you're lifted up in your own heart thinking you can use your ability to fashion yourself in the image that can serve you with life. The lust of the eyes is that your eyes could be confronted with something that looks good for food. Your eyes could see something in the world that th you think can satisfy the hunger you have. The lust of the flesh is that your flesh tries to attain to something that can satisfy the longing you have in your heart, right? And if you don't understand what those things are, are why you feel it, where they come from, you will make all sorts of wrong conclusions about your life. And you will find your life born from all those wrong conclusions, right? And then you become conformed to the image of the world, right? So again, I said this a couple of times. We can't keep our kids from encountering the world, but we can point them to the wisdom revealed at the cross so that when they're confronted with the feeling of emptiness or lack, they don't look to what they can produce through their flesh, whether it be a certain identity, a certain cause. You ever wondered why there's activists? Do you know why there's activists in the world? Because they're longing for a perfect life and they think they found something that if they could attain to will give them a perfect life. I mean, we have, what, PETA? Is that the, the pet thing? That those people have decided a right, righteous life is found and no animals ever suffering. Well, it's a good thing for animals not to suffer. We all agree with that. But you can't satisfy your desire for a righteous life by keeping all animals from suffering. The climate change, activism. That's what it is. That's the wisdom of the world, right? But if our kids understand what they're feeling, they won't look to certain causes or certain identities or a certain job or a certain spouse. They won't look to any of that 
because they'll see none of, that can, none of that can give them the likeness of God's immortality. It's real simple. It can't. But instead, what will happen is they'll see the father of life. They'll see the father and the life he has in himself, and they'll see that that's the power to find their desire for a righteous life satisfied. Right? Does that make sense? So as parents, your kids don't know what they feel in their heart. They just feel it. Right? Now that we know, we want to teach our kids that that's in them so that they can understand. And listen, the world, you can feel this lack and this emptiness. Right? That's because you're longing for this. And you can start teaching them how to discern their own hearts. Really what's happened is the Holy Spirit's discerning their heart. Right? And they begin to understand their life. With all you're getting, get wisdom. With all you're getting, get understanding. Right? I'm no longer thrown off by the lack anymore because I know exactly what's going on. I no longer feel, I don't even feel upset when I feel lack anymore because I know what's going on. I no longer can fall prey to the accusation because the accusation has nothing in me anymore because I know what's going on when I feel lack. Right? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father, for giving us the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Father, that your spirit can be ministered to our children and to their hearts, Lord. Thank you, Father, that uh, even if we don't know the words to use, that we could commit our desire into your hands, that we could communicate to our kids the same way you communicated to us through Jesus when you raised him from the dead, when he came and laid down his life on the cross. Thank you, Father, that our kids' lives be established in the faith that was revealed at the cross. Thank you, Father, that this is your desire. Thank you, Lord, that you raise up people, that you're raising up, uh, you're restoring our knowledge of the Son of God, that you're restoring our understanding of the faith so that our kids can be established in the faith. Thank you, Father, that even though the wisdom in the world might grow, that even though the evil in the world might grow, I thank you, Lord, that your knowledge is growing in the church, that your understanding is growing in the church right now, and that our kids will be established in the truth, and that our kids will be kept from the world. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Glory to God. Y'all are awesome. Thank you so much.